Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode number 13, The Garden of Eden. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell here with... Zena. And we're here to talk about the things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. How did you enjoy the podcast about nothing new under the sun last week, Zena? It was very interesting and mind-blowing. You know, I find a lot of the things in the Bible are mind-blowing. Right? I think if, if more emphasis in preaching was focused on the mysteries of the Bible, a lot more people would have an interest in the Bible than do today. Right, like you'll see, like like you said, with Bible mysteries, it makes it more interesting and you get educated in different ways. You really do. Our focus is not to be evangelistic necessarily in every podcast. I am a preacher by calling, but I want people to see that there's too many things in the Bible that just add up to something bigger than what has been traditionally given. Yeah. That it it can't be ignored. It can't just be a book written by men. You know, and if that's true, and if God is true, then maybe what he says about redemption is true too. Right. And we should, so if I can draw men through these unusual things into thinking there's really something to this, and then when you see how things are about to get really, really bad, hopefully we'll be able to see that, but there's hope. Yeah. Like I feel like the Bible is a book where you have to read between the lines and our podcast is us really diving in and reading in between those lines and bringing out like what God is trying to say because I mean it is a very difficult book to understand especially if you don't know the references or the meanings behind certain words that are used so exactly and I I love the way you said that we we help people read between the lines Mm -hmm. that's really what we're doing we're unlocking the Bible so that people who've not had much exposure to it and those who have Mm -hmm. can understand it better and ultimately see that God has a purpose to all of this. And he has, yes. it's, this is not accidental. Mm-hmm. There is no accidents in history. Right. There's no coincidence. <laughs> no, that's mm-hmm. right. So as promised today, we're going to talk about the Garden of Eden. Since we discussed that there's nothing new under the sun and we're looking at historical types in the past that are going to be fulfilled again in the future, mm-hmm. then let's talk about the Garden of Eden and see how that might play into that scenario. I'm very interested in this podcast because when you think of the Garden of Eden, you think of Satan and um, Adam and Eve, but there's more to it. There really is. There's a whole lot more. And what is the typical or current or common concept of the Garden of Eden is that it was once on the earth. Much of the world views it as just a myth. 
Mm -hmm. And those that believe their Bibles know it's gone and don't know where it is and think of it as something that God just like took off the earth and it's no longer there. We're going to find out today that may not be true. It is probably right under your feet. Uh, well, at least for some people. Anyway. <laughs> so we'll start in the book of Genesis because that's the first mention of the garden, obviously. Mm -hmm. And we'll go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. We read, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Now, right off the bat, that verse already sort of shatters a preconceived notion. People think the Garden of Eden, that all of Eden was a big garden. Mm -hmm. No, he planted a garden in Eden. Okay. So think of Zena planted a garden at her house. Right. It's not the house. <laughs> you know, it's a portion of your yard, mm -hmm. right? So it's the same. Eden was a country. Oh. It was a nation. It was a region. Think of it somehow, you know. Okay. Uh, some region somewhere. And in that region, God planted a garden. So now we're getting a completely different picture right? already, right? And there he put the man whom he had formed. So God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So Adam and Eve were citizens of Eden, and their job was keepers of the garden. Verse 9, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So right away, the, the garden had plants, obviously, and there's something in the middle of the garden called the tree of life. Now, we're going to do a podcast about the tree of life. We're going to focus on that another time. Okay. But there's something very important about that tree of life. It literally is the thing a person would eat to live forever. No way. There's a fruit that grows on that tree, that we, and we're going to find out it's going to show up again. The tree of life is going to show up again on the earth uh, at, in a future time. How exciting. It really is. There was also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we know that was the tree that bore the fruit that they ate that they weren't supposed to eat yes. and brought sin into the human condition. But it, I'm going to focus more on the garden and the, the region of Eden for now. Verse 10 says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it parted and became into four heads. So we've got a single river that comes from the garden, and uh, we're going to find out that that river is the river of life. And it's going to emanate again from God's throne in the future. But it parts into four parts, and it became four separate rivers, four heads. So think of a single river splitting into four tributaries, which become themselves major rivers. Mm -hmm. right? See it all over the, all over the world. Uh, the name of the first is Pison, and that is it which compasseth or surrounds the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. Um, we don't know 100% where these places are. So people okay. speculate a lot. Verse 12, and the gold of that land is good. There's delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same as that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. Well, we know where Ethiopia is. It's in Africa. But we don't know there's a Gihon River. There's no historical record of a Gihon River. But at least we know there's an Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the name of the third river is Hittakel. That is it which goes toward the east of Assyria. Well, we know where Assyria is. And Hittikel, incidentally, is no longer the name of a river that is called, but it is, in fact, the Tigris River, which is a river in Babylon or, or Iraq today. Mm -hmm. And uh, the name of the fourth river is Euphrates. And that's probably one that most of our listeners have been familiar with. So Euphrates River still exists today. 
Now, men are always trying to speculate and figure out, so the Garden of Eden must have been in that region between the Tigris and Euphrates River, so they think it was in Iraq. But that's not necessarily true. The river that came from God split into four heads. But you think about Ethiopia way down here in Africa. Yeah. And Euphrates being way up there in Iraq. That's a huge distance. Very big. So what probably happened was after this time when this one river split into four, the earth was actually divided. Geographically, there were some things that shifted. So what you see now as the continents and the different regions aren't the same as they were at the time of the Garden of Eden. Okay. But the basic region is still on the earth somewhere we're going to find. Okay. Now, so notice it said the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and we see these rivers come out. Mm -hmm. We've learned that Eden is the country or region or nation that contained the garden of God. But where was it? If the rivers are any clues, we got sort of a mixed bag here. Because we've got some river that goes down and surrounds Ethiopia. Well, that's far from the Tigris and Euphrates, Mm -hmm. which are fairly close to each other in modern-day Iraq. Okay. Well, somebody once drew a picture of what they think it could have been. And therefore, their belief was that maybe the Jordan River was the main river that split into the four heads. Okay. And and they show it coming out as going, the Jordan River sort of goes north and south through Israel. Mm-hmm. And so to the north, it splits into the two rivers of Hittikel or Tigris and Euphrates. And to the south, it splits into the Gihon and Pishon. Now, why did they change the name to Tigris? It probably has something to do with the original languages. Okay. So, like, the modern-day Tigris River is probably named after it was conquered by the Greeks. Tigris sounds like a Greek name. So does Euphrates. Mm-hmm. So those are probably Greek terms that just stuck with it. In the language, if you went and spoke up, I don't know if Iraqi is a language or if they speak Arabic or what. I'm, I'm uneducated on those things. But they probably have a different name for it. Okay. It might still be called Hittikel, but that's an ancient language. It's either Hebrew or Canaanitic, okay, something like that. So, uh, and then these two rivers, you know, they don't really exist. Pishon and Gihon, they don't exist as far as we know. But today, but we're looking at the way those rivers might be juxtaposed on a modern map, not necessarily what they looked like when we read about them in the garden. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so. why don't those exist anymore? Well, that kind of gets back to the earth shifting. Geographically, there was actually a person that lived in the Old Testament named Peleg, P-E-L-E-G. And it says that in his days, the earth was divided. And it's also possible that he lived during the time of the Tower of Babel. Remember, we talked about they built a tower unto heaven and God scattered the languages and scattered them abroad. Mm -hmm. Well, how did he scatter them abroad? It could have been when the earth was divided. Okay. So it could have been that there was one big continent and we were all sort of united in that sense geographically. And then he switched them and there's a South America. And then you got people that are native to South America. And there's an Asia and people are native to Asia and Africa and Europe. Okay. You know, and, and we migrated and we scattered over time. But when that first happened, it would have been like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, and, and you only know the language that you're suddenly speaking. Mm-hmm. You can't understand somebody speaking a different language, and there's been there's no books to guide you. There's nothing, right? right? So it would have been quite a time of confusion. I bet. Hence the term Babel. 
confusion, right? Mm -hmm. So that's probably one of the explanations. But what's interesting is people think of modern-day Israel, and it's a tiny, tiny country. I mean, it's like the size of, what, Rhode Island or something? <laughs> Maybe it's Whoa. a little, little bigger than that. That's really little. It's a little bigger than that, but it's, it's not much bigger than... I mean, if you think about the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt is that triangular-shaped piece of land that sort of bridges Egypt to the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty good-sized thing, but Israel's smaller than that. you know. And then, so if you look at Israel compared to the size of, say, Iraq or even Syria... It's a fraction of the size of those two countries. Oh my goodness, it's super tiny. But that's not the actual borders of Israel when God restores the land. According to the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel chapter 47, God lays out the boundaries that is going to be Israel's land when Christ comes back and restores all things. And the borders are from the Nile to the Euphrates River. Whoa, it's gotten real big. So it's much bigger. It's almost as big as Saudi Arabia is now, which is gigantic compared to Israel today. Mm -hmm. Okay? So the, the belief is that that nation is going to be much larger than it is right now. So what if that future Israel nation, future Israel borders, comprises the exact same land that was once the nation Eden? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> so what if that's true? Let's see if we can find some support for that in the scripture. So we'll go to the book of Isaiah chapter 19. So are you insinuating that when God comes back to earth, that's where he'll be at? Well, his throne was on the mountain of God. We've seen that last podcast. Mm -hmm. And the mountain of God was in Eden where the garden was. So, and if you think about it, Jerusalem is east in the region that will be Israel in the future. We were looking at a map. I know you, the people listening can't see this, but we were looking at a map of the Middle East and someone had juxtaposed the borders of the future Israel from the Nile River to the Euphrates. And then there's a huge chunk that forms a section, like think of like a state, you know, like, but the size of like Montana or something, you know, some big area. Well, Jerusalem would be to the easternmost part of that, or, or excuse me, would be to the, uh, to the west of that. Uh, but there's something about where that river comes out. We're going to tie back in possibly to the Jordan River. So can we find scripture evidence that ties Israel somehow to Eden in the past. Mm -hmm. All right, let's look for that. So Isaiah chapter 19, verse 23, talks about the future Israel. Now, we referenced Ezekiel 47 to get those boundaries, but here's a passage that says this. In that day when God returns and restores Israel, there shall be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. Now, Syria and Assyria sort of coincide. But um, the modern nation, Syria, is a portion of what once the, was once the Assyrian Empire. Mm -hmm. And the Assyrian Empire at one time incorporated the Euphrates and the Tigris River of Iraq today. Okay. okay. And it, at one point it was known as Babylon, you know, the Babylonian Empire. So it was, it was a lot. But uh, he's saying that there will be a highway out of Egypt to Assyria. So right now you couldn't even do that, you know. Uh, and the Assyrians shall come into Egypt and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians shall serve with the Assyrians, meaning they're going to serve Israel. 
In that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel mine inheritance. Did you know that in the future, Israel, Egypt, and Assyria are going to be like a trio of people? No. United together, worshiping God. That sounds wonderful. Egypt is Muslim today, not mm-hmm. Jewish. Assyria is, you know, several nations, but mostly Muslim. Mm-hmm. And I can't see them agreeing together about God on anything, no. hardly. But in the future, they will. So I know that it seems like if this highway is going to go from Egypt to Assyria, that's giving justification of those borders of Ezekiel 47, that there's a portion of the land of Egypt that's going to now belong to Israel. There's a portion of the land of Assyria that will then belong to Israel in the future. Hence the reason for the highway coming out of Egypt to Assyria, because it's going to be a highway through what was once their land, but now belongs to Israel. But they're so united and such good neighbors, they're considered three together worshiping God. Oh, and that's something. <laughs> yeah. So peace and harmony. Finally, you know, right? whenever I think of that, I think of like I, I'm an old soul, right from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And there was a band back in the 70s called Three Dog Night. And I sort of they did a song once called Black and White. And it was basically a song about the civil rights passages that came out. Mm-hmm. And it says the ink is black, the page is white. Together they would learn to read and write. And it was all about us coming together in harmony. Oh, that's beautiful. And it almost is a picture of this. I don't think they meant it that way. <laughs> you know. But three dog night, you know, three dogs coming together. So uh, it's sort of a beautiful picture. So I think that Eden is the future Israel. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that it'll be reclaimed by the Lord. And he's going to put his mountain where it's always been. That's why so much emphasis is on that region. So much fighting has been over that region, and that city in particular, Jerusalem. It is the city of God. It is his holy mountain. So if we go to another chapter in Isaiah, chapter 51, we find this interesting passage in verse 3. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem, and it's sort of in, t- in connection to Jerusalem being blessed by God again. Because mm-hmm. right now, God's hiding his face from Israel, according to the scriptures. He's going to turn back to them when they call on him, but he's waiting for them to make their confession as a nation. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her deserts like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Now that's pretty impressive. Yes. Now he says like... So that's a metaphor. It's a simile, if you will. Mm-hmm. But but why Eden and not Texas? <laughs> you know, I mean, I know there wasn't a Texas at the time, but there's plenty of locations on the earth right now that we be, we would consider paradise, like maybe Hawaii or Fiji or who mm-hmm. knows, whatever floats your boat. You know, Key West. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I want to go there someday. Uh, but we think of paradise as being a place where you can just relax and unwind and enjoy yes. wonderful scenery and beaches mm-hmm. or whatever. And so he's going to make her wilderness, he says, like Eden, which we know was a country mm-hmm. where there was a garden planted in to the east or whatever. And then another passage is in Ezekiel chapter 36, another Old Testament passage from the Torah. Chapter 36 
and notice verse 25. And he's again talking about Israel being restored again. So it's always about restoration. Many of the passages talk about Israel's punishment because they turned from God, but he made promises to restore them. Mm-hmm. So that nation Israel will still be God's people in the future. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you will be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Israel turned from God and went to idolatry. So okay. he's going he's gonna to forgive that at some point. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. So we're talking about the people changing. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Well, they didn't in the past. So it's going to be a new reformed Israel. Mm -hmm. Verse 28, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, which now we know is far bigger than what we see today, right? You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanliness. And I will call for the corn and will increase it. And corn, by the way, in a King James Bible means a kernel of grain. Because you might think corn and think like I do, corn on the cob. Yes. Which is a new world crop. They didn't have, they didn't grow corn in the Middle East in the Bible times. So the term corn is short for kernel. And a kernel is a kernel of grain. It could be wheat, barley, oat. It could be anything. Oh, okay. So people sometimes want to pick on the King James Bible and say, they didn't have corn in the Middle East. (laughs) Well, you're right. They didn't. Corn wasn't always called corn, right? (laughs) The word came before we discovered maize, Mm -hmm. the corn that we eat as corn on the cob. But he says, I'll call for the corn and we'll increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field that you shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall ye remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. In other words, they're going to go through a time of contemplation and remembering and they're going to afflict themselves. It's sort of like, I'm going to go think about what I've done. Yeah, like time reflect out. on things. <laughs> right. And then he says, verse 32, not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord. Be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the way shall be builded. So that's the second time we've seen waste. Well, with all that stuff that goes on in the tribulation, the land is going to be laid waste. Mm -hmm. The devil and his angels, they're going to destroy a lot of stuff, and God's going to destroy a lot of stuff because of them. Yes. Right? So he says, it's going to all be rebuilt. We're going to clean it up. Okay. And the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, this land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. And the wastes and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. So that's if it was once, you could think, oh, that's a pretty thing. But now it's twice he's mentioned Israel becoming like the Garden of Eden. There must be something to that. Yes. And then look in Joel chapter 2. Now, Joel chapter 2, that's another prophet of the Bible, but he mentions something that's a little bit more disturbing. In the time of tribulation, there's some bad things that happen, and there's some horrible armies and things that come out of the bottomless pit, and they destroy a lot. So they burn everything up in their path, okay? In chapter 2, verse 1, he's talking about them, and he says, Blow you the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. 
So Zion and the holy mountain are put together. We know God's mountain was in Eden. Yes. Okay. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there hath never been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. And he's talking about an army of 200 million that come out of the Euphrates River. And they have, they ride on horses and they're burning. They're like flaming horsemen. And they're going to burn everything up. It says in verse 3, A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. So God uses these people to punish what's going on in that land there. But it's interesting that once again, Zion, the mountain of God, and the Euphrates River are connected to the Garden of Eden. Mm. So something about all that is telling me. Right. Now, when we go back to the Garden, there's something else that was interesting. And we didn't read this part yet, but we're going to go back to Genesis because there were cherubs in the Garden of Eden. Good cherubs or bad cherubs? Well, both. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on which passage you're looking at. Okay. So we'll go back to Genesis chapter 3. Now that we've established at least some evidence that the Garden of Eden is probably going to be the land of Israel. Mm -hmm. You know, God's going to restore Israel to its original borders, which was originally the Garden of Eden. (laughs) Uh, In chapter 3 of Genesis, in verse 22, we read these words. And this was after Adam and Eve sinned. And once they sinned, they took on mortality. Well, in a sinful body... If they had taken and eaten the tree of life, they would have lived forever with sin. Think of that. Originally, when he created them, there was no sin in them. So they would have eaten the tree of life and lived forever, as God intended for them to do. Now, when you say that they would have lived forever, does that mean that we would have lived forever with sin? They would have lived forever having eaten the tree of life in a sinless, innocent condition. Okay. If they had eaten the tree of life once sin came in, they would have lived forever in a sinful condition. And that couldn't have been tolerated because God's not going to have sin in his new heaven and new earth. Okay. So the idea is it's a, it's a supposition. We're speculating that had they been able to do so, they would have lived forever in sinful bodies. And so imagine constantly decaying, getting older. And even if you could still live a thousand years, you know, and look like you would have looked at 90 today, mm-hmm. who wants to live forever in a body that's deteriorating Very and constantly true. going down? Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game. And we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true. So you can help us use the satanic global elites own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries premium podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. 
You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. So it's interesting that with the next thing we read is in verse 22 of Genesis 3, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So no longer could you just reach up and eat trees in the garden and do whatever he wanted to. He now has to go till the ground, which God just cursed. So he's tilling the ground to to eat. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's still in Eden. He's just not in the garden. The garden had all the fruit trees. Very true. Now he's still in the nation, Eden. He's just been cast out of the garden. Okay, and it says, so he drove out the man from the garden and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims with a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So these angels, and I suspect there were probably four, Mm -hmm. were there to guard the tree of life so that nobody could come back into the garden and eat it in a sinful condition. Okay. And live forever with sin. So these would have been God's good angels guarding the tree of mm-hmm. life. Uh, and evidently, it was eventually taken off the earth, the garden. Okay. Could be in heaven with the Lord now, but it's not on the earth anymore. But the location, the geography is still there. Eden is the still dirt, there. The dirt is there, right? Okay. okay. And that's Eden. And that's probably this region we're talking about, Israel's future borders. Now, saying that, We just read even last week in the podcast about the king of Tyrus, Mm -hmm. the cherub that became Lucifer. Mm -hmm. Where did the Bible say he spent some time? In Eden. He did. He did. Remember that? Let's go to uh, Ezekiel 28 again. My point being, this is not the first time cherubs were in Eden. It's not the first time bad cherubs were in Eden? It's or, not the first time any cherubs were in Eden. Okay. The four that, uh, I believe it was four, that God placed to guard it with the flaming sword that turned every way, right there in Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it's those cherubs that are not the first cherubs that have ever been in Eden. Oh, okay. Okay, if we go back in history in Ezekiel 28, I believe is referring to a time before God made man. Probably the time when angels occupied the earth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, because we're talking about This person, the king of Tyrus, in Ezekiel 28, verse 12, son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. So we could think, oh, it's just a man that lived in the past, but we're going to find out he's a a cherub. Mm -hmm. Verse 13 says, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So whoever the king of Tyrus is, he must have existed either A, along with Adam, and there's no reference to it, Mm-hmm. or B, before Adam, and the Garden of Eden was on the earth before God placed it in Adam's time. Yep. All right, so this person, the king of Tyrus, every precious stone is his covering. In verse 14, he says, Thou art the anointed cherub. So this 
person, the king of Tyrus, is an anointed cherub that's been in Eden, the garden of God. It says he was in the holy mountain of God, or he says, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God in verse 14, and thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And boy, I'm having to do a study on the stones of fire sometimes. Yeah. It makes me think of technology, like mm-hmm. rocks that can glow or something. So, so do you think God put um, Satan in the Garden of Eden before he became corrupt since he's a cherub? Absolutely. I believe that Lucifer was a high-ranking angel, a cherub, mm-hmm. on God's earth in that creation before he made man. Okay. Where the angels inhabited the earth and had civilizations and nations, and one of them was Eden. Okay. And God dwelt in Eden in the person of Jesus Christ, sitting on a throne in Zion in the mountain. And Lucifer was something of, I would call, like a worship leader. He was sort of like a priest that led the worship of God, of all the angels, to God. Okay. And he might, and he, the way he was created with every precious stone as his covering is almost like a high priest. Mm-hmm. And tabrets and pipes like a music leader. I think God created music. And he was instrumental, no pun intended, <laughs> in leading that worship of music and the angels with God. They probably sang and he gave them the, the musical background or something like that. Mm-hmm. And over time, he decided, I want more than this. I may be the brightest cherub, but I'm not God. And right. that's when his heart turned. Mm. That's and when the greed came. That's when the greed came and the rebellion and everything else. So it would appear to me that Eden existed prior to the time of Adam. And it was one of the nations that the angels inhabited and, uh, and they worshiped God. They probably brought their offerings to God. Mm-hmm. And offerings wouldn't have been sin offerings. It would have just been praise offerings at the time because okay. there was no sin. Do you know what their offerings could look like? I would think it's going to be similar to what we're going to give them in the future. Because in the new heaven and the new earth, there's going to be nations. Mm-hmm. And the kings of the earth are going to bring their glory unto the Lord. Okay. So I think it's going to be what we create, what we do. I mean, God made you, right? He made man in, in his image. And he gave you, Zena, specific gifts and talents and abilities. And I think, honestly believe this, that when we go into the new heaven and the new earth, because let's say if I died today, I would go up to be with God in the third heaven. Mm-hmm. But that's not my final destination. Because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, which we're going to talk about in a future podcast. Okay. And God's going to come down from the third heaven, which is separated by the sea of glass. Yes. Because all sin will be gone at some point. So there'll be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. He's going to come down to dwell with men on the earth, the new earth, and it's going to revert back to the original creation. It's going to be that untainted, unsin polluted world. Mm-hmm. He'll live with us. He'll dwell with us because there'll be no more sin separating us. And he created us with these gifts and these abilities to serve him and to worship him. So it's not like we're going to sit on a cloud playing a harp. Yeah. The thing you love to do is going to be the thing you're going to pursue forever. How exciting. The thing you love to create, if you're a singer, a writer, a, 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 an architect, anything, whatever mm-hmm. it is you do, you're going to use those same skills in some manner forever. So God's not going to limit you. You're going to be able to go explore and do research or whatever you want with his blessing, you Mm -hmm. know, and no restrictions, no boundaries, because there'll be no sin. You won't be able, capable of doing wrong. 
mm-hmm. right? We'll discover things. We'll explore the universe. I think he'll let us finally uh, uh, reverse engineer his spacecraft, you know, right? so we can travel to other worlds mm-hmm. and, and do those kind of things. And then, you know, whatever you love to do, whatever brings you joy, he mm-hmm. loves you. He's your father. He wants you to do those things, mm-hmm. you know. So we're going to be finding unlimited ways to, to discover it's so much more interesting than the heaven people talk about. Right. So it's all going to basically come full circle in a way. That first creation that we'd love to know about, that world that the angels inhabited, we're taking that over. The new heaven, the new earth. Okay. And the angels will be a part of it too. We'll interact with them. Imagine walking around humans and angels. Mm-hmm. You know, we can see each other. We can hug each other. You know, we can do whatever. It's just going to be something. So remember that mountain was where God's throne is. Yes. Zion, my holy mountain, the throne of God. Well, in the book of Isaiah, we already read last week, but I'll read it again just to remind the listeners that Lucifer, the only place he's named in the Bible is Isaiah 14, wanted to ascend above the throne of God. He said in chapter 14, verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? I think the nations, this is a past tense thing. Mm-hmm. And I think the nations were the, the angels, angelic nations. Uh, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. By the way, speaking of angelic nations, remember we talked about Daniel and the angel that came down to him had to fight with the prince of Persia? Yes, the to prince get of him Grisha. the message. Those were angels of nations. See, they were angelic nations too. They're still wow. involved. Even the mm-hmm. bad ones, you know, are still involved. They mm-hmm. want this rock. They want this planet, <laughs> right? They want it back. So badly. Anyway, verse 13, For thou said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He wants to be God. He wants his throne to be above God's throne. He wants to be higher. It's amazing. The greed. So we've talked about the king of Tyrus in the book of Ezekiel. To kind of start wrapping things up here, there's a reference to something called the prince of Tyrus. Now, we know princes as angels in the Bible as well. Mm -hmm. But prince compared to a king is usually the son of a king. Yes. So... The king of Tyrus was mentioned in the book of Ezekiel, but so is the prince of Tyrus. So if the prince of Tyrus is the son of a king, let's see what we can glean there. Right? I want to know who this is because the king of Tyrus is Satan. Lucifer, right? So who would be his son? Well, it would be the Antichrist. That's right. But last week we talked about That which has been shall be. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. So there were types of Antichrist in the past. There's a number of individuals in the Bible that serve as types of the Antichrist, just as there are a number of individuals in the Bible that serve as types of Christ. David is a type of Christ. Okay. In the way he lived his life, you know. Um, But Pharaoh is a type of Antichrist. And he was a rebellious person king against God. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to let God let his people go. Antichrist persecutes the people of God, as Pharaoh did to the Israelites. So, son of man, verse 2, say unto the prince of Tyrus, thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, chip off the old block, right? (laughs) And thou hast said, I am a God. Mm -hmm. I sit in the seat of God. 
in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God. So he doesn't call him a cherub. He's a man. The anointed cherub is the king of Tyrus. So are you saying that the prince of Tyrus was maybe like a king that Lucifer had control over? Yeah, so like this would be a man later after God made Adam. It could have been, for all we know, one of the giant Nephilim because mm -hmm. he would have been part man, you know. Okay. But he also could have been just a normal human being at some point that was the king of Tyrus whose own arrogance and pride is a reflection of Lucifer. Okay. And even Christ said of the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. Mm -hmm. So they weren't genetically satanic seed, mm -hmm. but they were children of the devil through their worship of him or whatever. So he says, I'm a God, this prince. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. Yet thou art a man and not God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. And Nebuchadnezzar was another king that did the same thing. So the prince of Tyrus is probably a picture of the Antichrist to come because he's going to do this very thing. Whoever that man is, is going to stand in the temple of God mm -hmm. and declare himself to be God. And we talked about that as the mystery of iniquity. Yes. The abomination, right? What happened in that temple that made everyone leave. Right, right. Which when he says, get out of Judea, flee into the mountains, because when that man declares himself to be God, that's when all hell breaks loose. God's wrath falls on the earth. Mm -hmm. Satan's now confined to the earth because that war takes place, or, or they're defeated at that point. And the, the Satan enters into this man, the prince, the Antichrist, and he goes after the children of God to yep. persecute them and to try to kill them. So history repeating itself, right? Second Thessalonians chapter two is a New Testament passage where this same person is referred to. He's not called the Prince of Tyrus here. He's referred to in a different way. Paul writes this letter and he says, let no man deceive you by any means for the day of Christ when he comes back. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Well, that matches the Prince of Tyrus perfectly. Right. We just read that. So he's going to be a man. He's actually going to die at the hands of a man with a sword. And at that point, when Satan is cast down, he's going to enter into him and give him life again. Or, like, dun, 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 I'm back. <laughs> not, or do some sort of, uh, you know, genetic weird thing mm -hmm. with, a, with a mark or a stamp, and he rises from the dead. And, and he's people gonna, are going to be like, <gasps> he must be a god. That's God. You're going to actually literally think he's the Christ because oh. he rises from the dead. I wouldn't be surprised if he's dead for three days. Those poor lost souls. I'm telling you. So you can see how important it is we get this message. Right. For people to understand that there is a great delusion coming, a strong deception. That delusion is going to be such that in the book of Revelation, when he does finally appear in chapter 13, we read in verse 5, there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, same person, mm -hmm. different names, the son of perdition, the man of sin, the prince of Tyrus, the antichrist. It's all the same person. Okay. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months, three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. 
And them that dwell in heaven at that point is not only going to be God the Father and God the Son and the angels, Mm -hmm. but us. The people that believe on Christ today, Mm -hmm. at some point, we've been told we are delivered from the wrath to come. We have to leave this world before God can start pouring out these horrible things on the earth for his wrath. Because you live in grace right now. He's not pouring wrath out. People refer to the event as the rapture. You ever heard of that? No, I have not. The rapture is not in the Bible as that term, but it's called catching out. So there's a point at which before Christ comes back to the earth at the end, seven years have to transpire first before he does that. And that seven years is a time of wrath. We have to leave this world before that wrath falls because you're not appointed to wrath. If you're a Christian and you're in Christ, you're delivered from the wrath to come. So an event is going to take place seven years before Christ comes back where we go out of this world. You'll be walking along suddenly. She's gone. That is so cool. (laughs) Zena disappears. There she goes, just having a conversation. And the type of that is the man Enoch who was suddenly gone. He was walking with God and he was not the Bible says. So he's a picture of this group of people, the believers today. And literally, it's the ones that have already trusted Christ that have died. Their bodies are buried, but their spirit is with the Lord. Well, in that day, if if it should happen, say, tonight, and you're on your way home driving, and all of a sudden, your car is got nobody driving it, you know? (laughs) Zena went home with the Lord. Well, um, people that have already died go too. Their, Their bodies come up to join their spirit in a new body that's perfect. That's awesome. And it happens like that. The Bible says in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. And so those that remain are the unbelievers and the nation Israel that turns back to God because they have a national program they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. They're going to be the ones living through the sky, dealing with the sky. And so the world needs to be aware of the fact that if they don't accept the truth of Christ now, they're going to have to deal with the Antichrist later. Very true. Yeah. So we want them to see that. And in closing, because we're out of time, I'll go to Revelation 21 or or chapter 21. Because I mentioned this before, I want to show you the passage. When all is said and done and the Lord does come back, he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. But that's not the end. That's just a thousand year period of time that has to take place to fulfill some other promises God made. But when that's all said and done, that's when God makes a new heaven and a new earth. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I said your gifts and your abilities you're going to do forever for God and the new heaven and the new earth. And here's the passage that talks about that. It's Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. John writes this book. Okay. Saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The actual city of God, Jerusalem, is going to finally come down where God is to the earth. And he says, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And he's going to wipe away all tears, and he's going to do all this kind of stuff. But the thing I want to show you is that this big city, when it comes down, New Jerusalem, is 1,500 cubic miles. It's gigantic. Yes. It's like half the United States. My goodness. And it's that tall. It's that large square and that tall. Whoa. So it's going to have a lot of inhabitants in there, and you're going to be there. Streets Mm -hmm. of gold, all that good stuff. And in that city is God's throne. 
and where he sits and Christ sits. And out of that throne proceeds a river. Now watch this. Last passage, Revelation 22, verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Well, we know God's throne is on his mountain. Mm-hmm. We know the mountain is in Jerusalem. And here's the true Jerusalem. The one we've been waiting for is actually the one that was in heaven, mm-hmm. come down to the earth, out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and you could call the street of the rivers like the, the, the banks of the river, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life. I was just about to ask if he was going to bring back down the tree of life. <laughs> Which bare 12 manner of fruits. It had 12 fruits. Every month it grew a different fruit, and it will again. And yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So at some point, let's say you were a person that had cancer or lost an arm or something. But you end up going through everything. And I'm not talking about the saints that go out in that rapture because we're going to get new bodies. But I'm going to talk about the people that live physically through that time to get to the end. Okay. Let's say they had an arm cut off in battle or something. These leaves will cause their arm to be restored. Their bodies will be restored whole, mm-hmm. and then they'll eat the tree to live forever in perfect bodies. How awesome. They're going to be back to like Adam and Eve were in the beginning, see? Okay. Okay? There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and on and on it goes. So if the tree of life is there, and the throne of God is there, and Jerusalem is God's mountain. Where is Eden? In Jerusalem. It's right there. In other yeah. words, Eden is that city. Eden is the whole thing. So even though it's a, it's a, and it's still got its location on the earth, you know, and maybe the new earth is bigger to allow for a fifteen hundred cubic mile yeah. city to be there. <laughs> you know, I don't know, but uh, I, I guarantee you, it's going to be dead exact smack dab center where Jerusalem is today. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the Garden of Eden. The tree of life is there. It's in the garden of God. And it doesn't mention the garden of God there, but since it mentions the tree and the river coming out, and we know in Eden there was a river that came out and parted four ways, Mm -hmm. God's turning everything back to the way it was. How wonderful. And just like you can just imagine it's just so beautiful. Yeah. So next episode, we'll talk about the tree of life in particular. We discussed some things. We hinted at some things today. So we'll plan on talking about that next week. Okay. I'm super excited for it. I am too. Well, thank you all for listening today. Once again, we hope the podcast is a blessing to you. And if you guys enjoy our episodes, please go ahead and like and subscribe and share them as well as write down in the comment section something new that you learned from our podcast. Well, thank you all again and have a wonderful week. Be sure to tune in next week to Bible Mysteries. Bye guys. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at utbnow.com. 
We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.